And we're back here again with another episode of Scots Radio, the programme that does not only celebrate the Scots language, but speaks in it most of the time. This is Frida Morrison. Welcome to the programme. And in this new wonder with the words of wisdom and other bits, we're in a land of plenty, plenty poems, plenty music and plenty songs. And we hear fits in the recently published online anthology, Best Scottish Poems 2019 through the Scottish Poetry Library. And in a special extended feature, I'm delighted to welcome writer, musician, composer and producer Freeland Barber to hear about the amazing life of his ancestor, Lady Carolina Nairn, who wrote song treasures like Rowan Tree, Land of the Leal, Colour Heron, to name but a few, all in the pages of Freeland's book, The White Rose O'Gask. But before that, we hear Freeland Barber, the musician, famed composer and accordion player, and leader of the renowned Cayley Band, The Occasionals. This is Faye's album, The Music and the Land, from the concert Cayleys in the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh and the Old Foot Market in Glasgow to celebrate the launch of the two-volume book All That Name by Freeland. Set a concert, set a lineup. This is a set of tunes with The Occasionals along with Freeland. It's Mary Campbell, Alison Smith, Kevin MacLeod, Gus Miller and Neil McMillan. Take your partners.
The much-loved Kiwi band, The Occasionals, finishing with Can You Dance the Polka? And as it happens, aye, we can. It's a set of tunes for the concert Kayleys to celebrate the launch of Freeland Barber's two-volume book, The Music and the Land. And what a lineup of guests on that list. And this is a good time to introduce our soon sorter, <laughs> Richie <laughs> Werner. <laughs> How's it going? How lovely to hear you. Are you, you there? Either. Are you there? You'll, you'll enjoy that music. Oh, it's Richie, let, let me just tell you, Faz, on this guest list. Aye, you know, go on then. Phil Cunningham, uh-huh. Martin Carthy, Callan McLean, Jane Gardner, Ross Ainsley, Gary West, Ish. Billy Kay, Simon Dumier, and Janet Barber. <laughs> That's the guest list. That's unbelievable. It's a bit of a who's who, really, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, in, in the sort of dance band world and the, the folky world. Right. Music and good friends, as it should be, and well, nothing to mock. Nothing to mock their useful toil. That's the important bit. Oh, aye. Now, that album again, The Music in the Land, the concert, can be found on the Green Tracks label, and it's on my list of any of my favourites. 21 brilliant tracks. Richie, it that, is a brilliant that's, CD. That's massive. Wow. Uh, and you saw Kevin there that long ago, Kevin. I, do you know, Kevin, Kevin was in, I, I, I had the pleasure of recording him on one of his, another one of his pals plays, Fiddle Julia Dignan, and uh, he brought in, I, I didn't get in this, like, you could even get these things, but he had a, an amazing collection of uh, national resonators, but tenor guitars, and like originals, so from the 1920s, 1930s, and you're thinking, mm, art deco sort of period, and right enough, you look at these things, and they're works of art just to look at. It's like, it's kind of Chrysler building in New York, it's like that, right. but in sort of guitar form, you know. And boy, he can <laughs> play them as well, I tell you. <laughs> you enjoy your work. You oh, enjoy aye. your work, aye. <laughs> and as I said, I'll be speaking to Freeland later on about his book, Lady Carolina Nair and the White Rose O'Gask. And this is Eno Her Songs. This is Jean Redbath with Caller Heron. Wall by my colour hair and their bonny fish and hillsome fair and by my colour hair and new drawn the force. Wall by my colour hair and their bonny fish and hillsome fair by my colour hair and new drawn the force. When ye were sleeping on your pillows, dreamed ye ocht o'er pair fellows, darkling as they faced the billows, Art he fell the woven willows by my colour hair and new drawn the force. Colour hair and 
their bonny fish and hillsome fairin by Macaller Heron, new drawn fail forth. And when the Creelo Heron passes, ladies clad in silks and laces gather in their bropolices, kissed their heads and screw their faces by Macaller Heron, new drawn fade of force. While by Macaller Heron, they're no brocht here without great daring, by Macaller Heron, all through wind and rain, while by Macaller Heron, oh ye make all them vulgar fearin. Wives and mothers missed despair Call them lives, O men Call her The late, great Jean Redbath with Caller Heron through the pen of the legendary 19th century writer Lady Caroline Nairn. Fit a singer, fit a song. And that's from the CD Jean Redbath with Abby Newton. Will you know come back again? It's called Songs of Lady Nairn. And that's on the Green Tax label. Richie, fit oh, a I, singer, fit a song. I noticed that. It's, it's the, the, the range that she had, not just the range of the right. song, but the dynamics as well. She goes it's the dynamics. Really well to really quiet, and uh, Jean was half encouraging, and she, she wanted me to learn that particular song because she says, right. that'll challenge you. And my goodness me, it does. It goes in different octaves. Right. And the breathing, you, you know, you've got to get your breathing right so it just sounds like she's doing it. It's nasy. I don't think I ever mastered it. Right, we're sticking with the writing theme in this next session. Aye. An anthology of the best Scottish poems of 2019 has just been published by the Scottish Poetry Library. And congratulations to other 24 poets. Two of the poems were written in Scots, Ian by James Sinclair Faye Shetland, Cad Marmansk, and the other, Drumnichi Ferm, by Northeast poet Sheena Blackall, the Northeast Maka. Colin Waters, for the Poetry Library, Tell me more about fit was in this new anthology. It's a really very interesting time to be launching uh, a, an anthology like this. You know, Best Scottish Poems 2019. So what you basically have there is a snapshot of Scotland last year, just before the pandemic kicked off. And when I say a snapshot, you get a sort of a sense of many different elements of Scottish life. So, for example, on the one hand, you have a poem like The Job Interview by Ross McCleary, which is, as the title suggests, it's about, you know, the anxieties one faces when one's about to have a job interview. Or you've got a poem such as The Breakfast After by Lucy Burnett, which is about Brexit. Remember, remember that? Remember I remember Brexit. Bre- oh, yeah. yeah. Distant past. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, or then there's other things, you know, that people do, you know, when, when life's normal, like New Mother by Jeanette Ayaki, which is about being a new mother, or In Gordon Street by Jerry Cambridge, which is about walking along Gordon Street in Glasgow about to get a train. So there's all kinds of sort of aspects of ordinary life that are what we used to call ordinary life that, you know, you, you now can't access except in the form of a poem. So it, let me just get this straight. There's one poem, one poet, and there's 24 in total in the anthology, Colin, is that correct? Yes, that's exactly right. There's 24 poems. 20 were chosen by the main editor, Roseanne Watt. And we also had two editors, uh, one extra editors. One was a Gaelic language editor and one was the Scots language editors we've gone over. They picked two each. So not only is it a sort of a full picture of Scotland in 2019, it also gives you a nice summation of the, the languages uh, in Scotland and how they're working poetically. So the, the Gaelic editor was, was, correct me if I'm wrong, Nyla Gallagher? Yes. And the Scots editor was, was Derek Ross? Derek Ross, that's right. Yeah, Derek's a poet. I'm, I'm, actually, so is Niall as well. Uh, and so they were bringing to it not just a linguistic expertise, but uh, the, the knowledge that comes to writing poetry itself. But that must have been a heck of a difficult job to select two poems for Scots and two poems for Gaelic, let alone one poem, one poet for the rest of the anthology. I mean, how was this done and how long does it take? Well, uh, it does take quite a bit of time. We changed, actually, the system whereby we did it um, this year because normally what we used to do was the guest editor would literally have to come in and read every single book and every single magazine just to get Oof. every single poem. And it was a big task. The, the, the past poetry editors would come in around, I think, around October time and just, you know, they'd come in for a day and a week or however many hours and they'd take away books and it was a real, you know, it was real spade work. <laughs> There's a lot of work in there. You've had a, a very prominent uh, past editors. You've, you've had uh, James Nochte, Janice Galloway, uh, Alan Spence, you know, and Roseanne's had her work cut out with this one again. The two Scots Poems are by Sheena Blackhall. One is the Drumnichi Farm. And fit about uh, James Sinclair, what's his poem? His poem's called Murmansk, and it's a very interesting poem. It's in Shetlandic, but it's actually about um, so sailors uh, from the north of Scotland, Shetland area, um, during World War Two, sailing to Murmansk to get sort of naval. Uh, shipments of goods and, and weapons over to the Russians in that part of the, their country when they were being sort of cut off by German naval blockades and it's about the danger and the, the camaraderie but it's expressed in beautiful um, Shetlandic which gives it a real sense of authenticity you can almost taste the salt in the air as as the men are sailing uh, from Britain to Russia so it's 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 an epic in terms of content and is <laughs> not quite in terms of size it's it's very readable but it's a real you know men against the weather kind of poem and that the same I'm, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit that Derek Ross says about uh, Sheena Blackhall's poem Drumnihi Ferm which is in the parish of Burse of course he says generally joys of screaming in Scots is a sense of place that allows you to, to impart in this crackingly poem Sheena Blackhall we are deep in the heart of Burse in Aberdeenshire and he's quoting through the poem, the firm was a brooch preened in the heart of bus. That lovely words. 
Mm. Well, I mean, as you can hear there, Derek writes his commentary in Scots. It would have been a bit, a bit odd um, to have a Scots language editor and then insist they write in English. But uh, it was great, actually, to read Derek's comments and get that sort of real barrel and taste and rhythm of Scots, uh, even in his commentary. So, yeah, we're, do- we're doing our own little part to help promote Scots language and Scots language writing. Absolutely. Right. Colin, we need to get the details uh, folk and folk get into the website. Is it a free anthology? Can only yes. find it. Yes, it's absolutely free. Free to everybody from you know Rannoch to uh, Rwanda. As long as you've got a internet connection, you can get onto our website. Our website is simply www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk. And then once you're on the website, you can either go up to the top menu bar. There's a word poetry. If you cursor hovers over that and goes down to Best Scottish Poems. Click on that. You'll see all the Best Scottish Poems that we've done for almost 20 years. Best Scottish Poems 2019 is our most recent one. Or just type in Best Scottish Poems 2019 into Google and press hit, uh, enter. It'll probably bring it up that way. <laughs> that sounds an awful lot easier. One last question going before you go. Can we hear it? Is there anybody reading it? Of the 24 poems, uh, 16 of them, uh, and I'm hoping that'll grow over the next day or two, but 16 already have um, recordings by uh, the poets, including Sheena and uh, James Sinclair, who wrote Murmansk. If you're looking for those poems in particular, if you go into that page, the main Best Scottish Poems 2019 page, there's a director's introduction, and it says read more. If you hit read more and scroll down a bit, you'll see in a special orange box the, the Gaelic and Scots language poems. You click on those, you scroll to the bottom of those pages and you can hear the poets reading their own poems. It's like readings in 2D and listenings in 3D. That's fit where we're trying to, to demero and push mero f- folk to hear the Scots language. Mm. Colin, thanks for joining us and uh, thank you for DNS and we'll, we'll help you as much as we can. I'm sure folk will be delighted to, to see and hear and get involved in this. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Bye for now. Colin Waters, Colin for the Scottish Poetry Library. And again, our congratulations to all the poets. Now, as I said earlier, we're on a writer's theme this episode. I'm speaking with Freeland Barber about his new book on the life and songs of Lady Carolina Nairn. Now, most folk, they heard of her songs, but near a lot of folk, as you'll hear, Kent, she wrote them. And this is a classic track for her vast collection. And this is a classic recording. Silly wizard, we far be king but cheerly. Come through the heather, around them gather, you're rather welcome or early. Around them cling, we are your kin, for war be king but cheerly. Come through the heather, around them gather, you're rather welcome or early. To crown your rightful lawful king, for war be king but cheerly. News for my that came last night will soon gar money fairly For ships o' war had just come in and landed royal jelly Come through the heather, around them gather, you're rather welcome or early Around them fling we are, you can for all the king with jelly Come through the heather, around them gather, you're rather welcome or early To crown your rightful lawful king for all the king with jelly even clans with sword in hand for John O'Groats to early Hate a man declared to stand up far with royal jelly Come through the heather, around them gather, you are a welcome or early Around them cling, we are your kin for 
jelly. Come through the heaven and round them gather. You are the welcome rally to crown your rightful lawful king for all the king the jelly. Silly Wizard, with a song written by 19th century writer Lady Carolina Nairn. I'll be king but surely. In a Scotland's most popular Wheel Kent songs. You may ken the song, but did you ken for wrote it afore I killed you? If no, it's no surprising because the identity of the writer remained a mystery until after her death in 1845. And even new, no money folk will have heard O Carolina Oliphant or Lady Carolina Nairn. But Freeland Barber's book, Tad, the White Rose of Gask, as she was kent, has enabled us to get a, a unique insight into the world of this writer, the person and the poet, for I contributed so much to the minstrelsy of Scotland. It's a fascinating insight. And Freeland told me more about this national treasure. First, I asked him, that why he embarked on this book? 
Well, Frida, I, I grew up uh, in a house with uh, various portraits on the wall, and one of them was Carolina Oliphant, and one of the others was her elder sister, May, who was my great-great-great-great-grandmother. So it's in the family, you know, and every generation uh, since then were brought up on the songs of Carolina Oliphant. And... Because of that, I'd, I'd always wanted and had a great interest in her stuff, in her uh, material and her life as well. And for ages now, I've been wanting to write this book because the last biography of her was written in 1900. Wow. I just thought it would be nice to update her a bit, put her back on the map, because in my book, at any rate, behind Burns, behind Robert Burns, she is without question the second most important and popular writer of songs in Scots that, that has ever lived. She wrote even more hits, perhaps, than Burns did. She didn't have Burns's poetry and, and that breadth that he brought to literature, but uh, within the field of Scots song, she is but just behind him, and uh, a, a remarkable figure who should be better known. Yeah, I'll go back a wee bit because this book, this account, is, is more than a snapshot. What a remarkable lady. You begin with a really detailed account of Scottish history and how it related to her family and the effects of Culloden and her father. And you, you've put the, the bones on the family and made history come alive in the book as well. Did you mean to do that, Freeland? Indeed, I did. Uh, in fact, the first chapter, we, we spent quite a bit of time following the history of the Oliphant family, who, like so many uh, landed gentry, but of the lesser variety. Of Persia. Uh, of, of, of Persia, yeah. yeah, of Persia. But prior to that, they owned far larger swathes of Scotland and a bit of land in England too. They arrived with William the Conqueror in 1066, and the entire fabric of the United Kingdom was created at that point, the landed fabric, the ownership fabric. So they were called the Olifar, and they were from Normandy. They then provided various services to the kings of Scotland, and that brought them north, and then they were very important. They, they held the position of justiciary of the Lothians, which was second only to the king in the south of Scotland wow. in terms of importance. Uh, things and, and they took the nationalist side. They, they were very much supporters of Robert the Bruce. One of the elephants fought at Bannockburn, uh, and he also was a signatory of the Declaration of Arbroath of course, yes. 1322. Uh, and I think it's important to see how society developed at any level. I think the, the, the beauty of the Oliphant family was that they fell into slightly less favour because they took the Jacobite side. So And with devout followers of, of, of Bonnie Prince Charlie and, of course, of all the Jacobite movement then. Obsessively so, uh, it, almost ridiculously so, but in an admirable way. It, they were they were elephants out in 1715 in that rebellion or, or rising in 1719 or previous to that at Killycrankie in 1689 and of course in 1745 uh, Carolina Oliphant's father and her grandfather both called Lawrence Oliphant were 
out in that rising. And uh, her father, in fact, was one of the ADCs to Bonnie Prince Charlie, knew him very well. And because of this, uh, her father and her mother-to-be, her uh, grandparents were had to fly for their lives after Culloden, and they managed and to they do went that. In, they went into exile, didn't they? They did. They went into exile, firstly in Sweden, but then in France, and they lived near Versailles till 1762. Uh, so they were exiled for 17 years, but by a, a stroke of good fortune, they, they're, they're, their house at Gask, which is about nine miles west of Perth, that and the, the ground that went with it, there are a couple of farms, they lost that to the British Exchequer. But a, a group of their relatives got together and managed to buy most of it back. So, but by 1760 or 62, you see, antagonism in Britain to the Jacobite exiles was beginning to ease, and the orphan family eventually returned to Gask. Ladies first, then the men under new names. That was a fascinating detail as well in the book. Yeah, uh, Mr. Whit and Mr. Brown were the were the were the fa- were uh, Karen's father and grandfather's uh, adopted names. They were worried that travelling through England, there would still be some resentment to to Jacobites. But it, it's surprising how quickly the whole thing blew over. I think, apart from those who had actually you know been affected by the risings and they were mainly in in Scotland, but not entirely so. People probably didn't really think it was going to be all that serious once it passed because the the Highland Army was minute. It was 2,000 strong or something. I think it wasn't probably realistic. So that's maybe why the resentment to it passed over so quickly. Caroline, I'm going to bring you up to date here, that Carolina was born in 1766, 20 years after Culloden. So it was hardly surprising for you that, that many of her songs reflected a, a Jacobite sympathy and their adherence to the king who the water, as she refers to them. I'm, I'm thinking of While Be King But Shirley and Will You No Come Back Again? They're beautiful songs. And the White Rose of June, of course, the, the White Rose, the Jacobite Rose, referred to by Hugh McDermott, the wee white rose of Scotland. You know, that this is all part of her background, and I think it was important that you gave us this painting of her background before we understood where she's coming from. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I think so. Because because her father and grandfather, when they came back, they were still uh, prescripted rebels. So they had to lie low. And uh, she and her three sisters and two brothers, when they were growing up at Gask, they, they really, to begin with anyway, didn't travel at all. So you, you say that you, she enjoyed a very happy childhood in early years with a, a house full of fun and music and visits even by the fiddler and composer Neil Gow. Yeah, well, they had a lot of fiddlers by all, all accounts when they were up into their teens who would go around the countryside and that's how people like Neil Gower are living. And yeah, he he came, he came to Gask clearly and they, they knew him quite well. And indeed, it was my own four great grandfather, Alex Stewart, uh, Alexander Stewart, who was a doctor in Perth. He had married uh, Carolina's eldest sister, May. Uh, he had been the family doctor and he was in his house in Dunkeld. He had a house in Dunkeld uh, for a while. He uh, entertained one day. He entertained to breakfast. On the one hand, Neil Gow, and on the other side of the table was Robert Burns, who was on his wow. island holiday. So, uh, 
I wish I'd been there. It would have been great. (laughs) But of course, she knew the traditional tunes and the songs like Robert Burns, who, of course, was writing at the same time along with Sir Walter Scott. Uh, You know, that was a very important era for poets and writers. And so it's no surprising that she would use the tunes for her songs. No, she, she she knew them well, and that was the obvious vehicle. Burns had kind of set the the tone, but like Burns, Carolina didn't write music. Uh, she was probably a better musician than Burns was, but they both knew the music. They knew the rhythmic strength of Scottish mm-hmm. vernacular music. It, it was incredible, really, how many tunes they had to call on. And what she had, and Burns had it too, was this in, an innate ability to match the lyric to the melody. So you got the right feel of the, you know, of the, mm-hmm. the words to the, to the tune. So that's what I was going to ask. You know, we're, we're speaking about a centre, a very important era, poets and writers, Barnes, as I mentioned, Wordsworth, Byron and Scott. But as you said, it was was her unique ability, the simple lyrics or the choosing or a sympathetic tune that came first? Probably she heard songs being sung in the neighbourhood, but the words did not appeal. She wanted to purify the national song. So she wasn't copying Burns in that regard, but she rewrote songs just like he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her very first song, actually, The Pluman, is is a case in point that it it was a well-known popular song, but it was a it was a bit coarse, I think you would have to say. Uh, and she she didn't uh, feel that this was quite right and uh, wanted to, as I say, purify it. So she rewrote it. Her brother, who was by this time the Laird of Gask, had had performed the song uh, first time in outing it for anything that she'd written in front of a, a group of tenants, I think, and a sort of, I don't know what it was, a harvest garden or something like that. And um, it was really popular, it went down like a storm. And before you knew what was happening, it was apparently being sung right across Perthshire and central Scotland. Wow. Uh, and copies were being printed. And I think she realised that at that point, she could have an impact with her, with her view to to purifying the national song, and that, that was clearly it. And it, it stems from their um, upbringing, which was intensely religious. So, Freeland, we are talking about the centre, as I said, of a very important era of writers. But the question has to be asked: Why did she keep her identity as a writer a secret? It's it's a big question, and we will never know precisely what the answer was. She kept it a secret. Uh, from virtually everybody, uh, including her husband, can you believe? We don't think that he ever knew. And she had a a small... After she married in 1806, she and her husband lived in Edinburgh, and he was was in the army. Uh, He was um, deputy inspector of barracks for Scotland, based at Edinburgh Castle. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she and three other ladies formed a, a, a sort of unofficial committee for the selection of... Uh, songs for a series of six volumes of Scott's song that were produced in 1821, between 1821 and 1824. So those three ladies knew, and her family knew, her sisters knew, but nobody else did. Why she did this, I think, is a mixture of things. They were brought up to be self-effacing, not to 
shout out about their own abilities. That was part of their Christian upbringing, I think you would describe it as. She took it to extremes. After she married, you could say that it was maybe not quite right for uh, the wife of a, a relatively important military figure to be writing about the Jacobites. But uh, I think it was a natural modesty which was maybe taken to almost severe extremes. For instance, there's, there's a, a, a story that she was in a house at Ravelston in Edinburgh where her sister and her sister's husband lived and they had weekly Saturday afternoon get-togethers and ladies, almost always ladies, would sing the latest songs and her favourite song, The Land of the Leal, was sung and there was a lot of discussion as to who had written it, uh, who had written the words. Was it... <laughs> Was it Burns on his deathbed? Because that's what it sounds like, with names changed, or who, who could it have been? And Carolina Nairn was at the other end of the room, and she could hear all this, and she never said a thing. So, you know, it, it was something that she just took to extremes. Helen Walker, her friend Helen Walker, played a big part in her anonymity. She, she was the link. Yeah. If, if Carolina wanted a song or a collection of songs put forward either for the, this collection of songs in the 1820s or anything thereafter, she did it through Helen Walker, who, who was a friend in Edinburgh. And Helen Walker kept her secret her, for her entire life until Carolina died in 1845. And then Helen Walker, we think it was Helen Walker, we're not totally certain, but it looks as though it was, wrote to Carolina's last surviving sister and to her niece to see if they could publish a collection of her songs and acknowledge her authorship. It, it is extraordinary because right through the 19th century, all these well-known songs that she had written were attributed to other people, mainly to Burns, but uh, not exclusively to him. But she didn't mind. She, she, she would have been horrified by today. I don't know what she'd have thought of it, where people jump about and say, look at me, look at me, uh, aren't I the best? That was so far away from anything that she uh, kind of stood for that I, I dread to think what her, her uh, words would be <laughs> if she appeared through she the door. She would not have liked the, the culture of personality as we have today. She, she would have hated it. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, yeah. writing in Scots and English, was, was Scots important to her? It was. It was because of its pithiness, its ability to say in just a few words what English isn't so good at doing. But it wasn't exclusively so. And I think when she arrived in Edinburgh, she was affected by a sort of Anglicisation that was going on at the time of the Enlightenment in Edinburgh. Uh, and she wrote in English as well, not so successfully, but she certainly felt that English was the coming uh, language of expression, but she was old enough and from a generation to be very familiar with Scots. She could speak it, no bother, and uh, she saw its value. But it was important to her contact that she had with her surroundings. I'm thinking of, the, you know, Carla Herring, for instance. She wrote about the people that she knew in Edinburgh and, and witnessed them working around her. 
Yeah, Callaghan was written for uh, for the fishwives from Mus- Musselburgh, whose right. cries she was very familiar with. They, she lived in Duddingston, just on the edge of Portobello. Uh, so the the fish folk from Musselburgh were were well known to her, and that actually brings me to something that is, we should definitely highlight about her life. She was unbelievably generous. She gave everything she had away. She lived very frugally. Uh, she was lucky because she did have stuff to give away. But she had heard uh, that Nathaniel Gow, who was one of the sons of Neil Gow, who we were speaking of earlier, Nathaniel had come to Edinburgh uh, to try and make his living from music. And he was having a rough time of it. And this had come to Carolina's ears through the Perthshire connections, I suspect. And it's not surprising Nathaniel was having a rough time because he had 11 children. 11 children, I was about to mention. But he's the one with 11 children. <laughs> he had 11 children. Impoverished musician, goodness gracious. Anyway, she, her, she wrote the words to Callaheron and she sent them anonymously through Helen Walker to uh, Nathaniel Gow with a note saying, if this is any use to you, please make use of it. And uh, maybe if you do write a tune for it, dedicate it to the Duchess of Athol. The Duke of Athol was was uh, Nathaniel's uh, patron. Mm. And he never discovered who wrote the words. He wrote this gorgeous tune. And uh, the song became incredibly popular. But he died in 1830, and he almost certainly never knew who his benefactor Lady Carolina Elephant, as I said, died or reached her long home. I love that phrase, her long home, in 1845, the 27th of October, peacefully at Gask, at the age of 79. But at the same time, as you mentioned there, a new book of her songs was being prepared for publication. And after she passed away, her sister, again, as you mentioned, I was asked by the publisher, was it the publishers who asked Lady Keith if they they could uh, publish the name of Carolina Baroness Nairn? I think it actually was Helen Walker who was the the sort of uh, main person who had got this idea of putting out a collection of her songs. Because uh, Carolina knew about the collection before she died. She'd actually sent some contributions. But mm-hmm. her stipulation very strongly was that, uh, uh, yes, put out the collection by all means, but keep my name out of it. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> it is amazing. And... Uh, it, because she died before the collection came out, then Helen Walker was able to write to to her sister and to her niece to see if permission could be given. And they very wisely said it could. Yes. So The Lays of Strathern by Carolina Barnes Nairn was published in 1846. The great acclaim, Freeland, wasn't it? Oh, it was unbelievably popular. It went through umpteen editions very quickly. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to be in a fairly relaxed sort of copyright situation as far as I can make out <laughs> because there were people publishing in Edinburgh first of all but then in London. Uh, it was hugely popular across the UK and in North America actually as well. Queen Victoria almost certainly had a copy yep. and was familiar with some of the songs. There was a Scottish tenor called John Wilson who made his name and his living singing around the UK and in North America. And he uh, always included a few of her songs 
that he had learnt when he uh, attended singing lessons from a man called Finlay Dunn in Edinburgh. And Finlay Dunn had been the person who had scored the music for the Laser Strathern. Yeah. So this is the way it's always been like that. It's who knows who and what happens after yeah. that. Yeah. Well, Freeland, thank you for for giving us this unique insight into not only the wonderful and remarkable Lady Nairn, but a snapshot of Scottish history. And your book, The White Rose of Gask, let me give the details, The Life and Songs of Carolina Oliphant, Lady Nairn, is published by Berlin. This is a beautiful book from the heart of the land. And can I just read a little sentence and I'll maybe get you to read the last sentence because the, the, the beautiful words here. You write, Scots as a tongue had always been part of the national culture, but Carolina and many others as well helped to reposition folk song and bring it from its folk tradition into an art tradition without losing its cootiness or forthright qualities. As I say, Freeland, thank you for this book. Can I ask you to read the last sentence? Indeed you can, and it's been a pleasure talking to you, Frida. Thank you so much. I finish off in the only way that you can when you're dealing with somebody who is touched with genius. The last words should be hers, for without her words, the world, and Scotland in particular, would indeed be a poorer place. Freeland Barber, writer, producer, musician, composer. And you can never hate Ur Money Legends in a programme. So The White Rose of Gask, The Life and Songs of Carolina Oliphant, Lady Nairn, by Freeland Barber, is published by Berlin in 2019. And www.berlin.co.uk is a place to find it. And apart from the book we were speaking about there, Freeland did me the great honour of sending me a copy of his other book he published to honour Lady Nairn. And this too is a beautiful piece of work. The songs, the artwork, the presentation is are superb. The Lays of Strathairn by Caroline Barnes Nairn is edited by Freeland and published by Bonskeed Music in 2019. www.bonskeedmusic.com and look out for the stage presentations by Freeland and singer, songwriter, actress, poet, Gerda Stevenson. It will be magical. Richie, we like Gerda. Gerda, you're we've, an absolute hoot and a total star. We're missing you. Was, <laughs> we, we've adopted Gerda. Aye, so absolutely. But we'll say we're by the news for news. And there's only a why we could finish this programme. There's only a song we could feature. Through the White Rose of Gask, through the pen of Lady Nairn, this is Jean Redpath again with Rowan Tree.
understand. 